Well, we're happy to tell you that for the time being, until he doesn't want to do it anymore because he has free will, Dr. Pete says, yeah, I can come on once a month. And we're going to do the first or the third Tuesday, and that's today. So we're excited about that. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Dr. Ray Pete, Ph.D., University of Oregon. He's specialization in physiology. Started his work with hormones back in 1968. Man, that's when I started in radio in the Navy. 68. I'll be done. He wrote his dissertation in 72, which he outlined his ideas on progesterone. Progesterone. And the hormones closely related to this. Something else clicked. I want to make sure you're on. Dr. Pete, are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Have we had our coffee today? Yep. Had two cups already. Wow. Wow. What time do you generally get up? Oh, generally um, 830. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you live on the West Coast, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You lived down in Mexico for a while? Um, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, years down there. Uh, first time I went down was 1955 for summer school, studying painting. And uh, then many times since then, and had a school down there for a few years, like like college. Mm-hmm. Were you taught? Uh, yeah, uh, it was an experimental college uh, uh, from 1961 to 65. Uh-huh. And what what kind of things were you teaching down there? Um, it was um, uh, intended to uh, uh, be in. A sort of open curriculum in which teachers could teach anything they wanted <laughs> and and students could uh, study anything they wanted and uh, the student would uh, propose an idea and uh, try to get teachers interested or the teacher would give a lecture and see uh, what the students thought huh. college level university level uh, yeah uh-huh what kind of things were the students most interested in? What is that, 40 years uh, ago? Wow, 50 years ago. Literature, philosophy, and painting. Really? Huh. Uh, it, it was sort of a, a matter of uh, who who the teachers were, I think. That, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you spell, uh, still spend time painting now, Doc? Oh, oh yeah, um, almost every day. Really? Yeah. What kind of things do you paint? Oh, uh, a few landscapes, mm-hmm. lots of uh, faces and figures, huh. uh, sort of integrating figures in the landscapes. Oh. That must be a nice meditative thing to do for you. It, it is. It completely uh, gets me out of out of the words yeah. <laughs> uh, from re- reading too much. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how your head explodes now, you know, not explodes. With, hmm. Do you find... Um, is it fairly? Uh, talk a little bit about your research now, your ongoing research, finding the finding research that you you think is valuable to even retain that information. How do you do that? Um, I, I have a, a general thought in mind, uh, understanding how everything works, yeah, and uh, things that uh, don't fit the established theories or paradigm uh, just stick with me. Uh, Some of them for 50 or 60 or 70 years have been in the back of my mind, Uh, and uh, that was what finally uh, shifted uh, my main activity from painting and literature to to biology, 
was these unanswered questions that that no one was working on. Uh, and uh, currently, uh, the idea is uh, uh, around the uh, idea of stress and uh, uh, energy and structural development. There's a a young professor at MIT, Jeremy England, who a few years ago uh, proposed uh, a new way of looking at the origin of life rather than being uh, governed by chance. Uh, and the, the, the really kind of silly idea that is behind neo-Darwinism, that everything is random, right, and that, right. that life developed by chance. Uh, uh, Jeremy England uh, is saying that the, the flow of energy uh, very quickly on a time scale relative to the, the conventional beliefs uh, very quickly will create order and that the order will uh, begin uh, self-organizing. And his idea really is just just a, a new mathematical version of uh, the Russian Vernadsky, who started that same idea at the end of the 19th century and uh, tried to convince, uh, like he, he applied for research support at two or three American universities who told him to go away. Hmm. But uh, he was uh, integrating uh, the, the development of soil with the development of organisms in in the context of the continuing flow of energy from the sun. Uh, and he showed very clearly uh, why organisms develop big brains uh, uh, simply uh, uh, responding to the flow of energy from the sun. Oh, and, and that's how the, the evolutionary, that's how we uh, evolved is what he argues. That's how we as a species. Um, uh, yeah, but it, it, my interest is in how it uh, governs development uh, from the ovum uh, up through the uh, adult form <clears throat> Uh, it's really uh, the same sort of principle that it's a flow of energy uh, ultimately derived uh, from the sun in the form of the sugar made by plants Hmm. Uh, and then the sugar which the the mother uh, consumes uh, is provided to the fertilized ovum and in proportion to the oxygen uh, and sugar, uh, basically the the source of energy and the uh, recipient of the energy on oxygen. It's that flow from, from glucose to oxygen that uh, shapes the human organism or any, any animal organism. Uh, and it, it follows that same principle that the flow of energy uh, through the system creates order uh, and uh, uh, those <clears throat> observations that, that have been sitting around for a hundred years uh, are just now starting to to show up again mm. in in the science culture with people like Jeremy England mm. so would that 
would that argue then that the energy, whatever this energy is that drives everything called spirit or whatever, has an order to it? It is an orderly energy. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and that's, the, uh, that's what really went wrong with neo-Darwinism. <clears throat> uh, they, they were horrified by the idea of spirit uh, guiding things. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, so they said, no, it, no, it's all blind and random. Mm-hmm. Matter is utterly stupid and mindless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the alternative is that uh, the matter isn't alien to spirit. That matter isn't alien to spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, w- it would pretend then that we can utilize spirit, this energy, to our greater good and to everyone's greater good, becoming more conscious of what uh, he's, uh, what he's yeah, arguing, uh, right? What Mr. England's uh, arguing. Yeah. And it implies that there's a, a basic goodness yes. in, in existence. Yeah. I like that. Well, it feels right. I mean, that spirit... We, take all the beautiful attributes and of goodness and love and abundance and beauty, right? Balance. All those words, it feels like that's what spirit's really made out of, if you had to describe it on a game show or something. Uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, hmm. Philosophers, since before Plato's time, sure. uh, have been onto that. Uh, and uh, it's uh, fairly continuous through philosophy and all the cultures. Uh, and it's only this fairly recent uh, neo-Darwinist uh, worldview that has put things off the track. So I don't really understand neo-Darwinism. What, what is it exactly? What are they? What are they arguing? The neo-Darwinist. Uh, the, the basic horrible assumption is that the universe is random. How random? And, and that uh, variation happens only by chance, uh, and and so. Uh, they they see uh, evolution as something involving uh, roughly a, a billion years. But uh, uh, Sidney Fox, a, a biologist, uh, about oh, 40, 50 years ago, uh, doubted that time scale had any reality. And he uh, put, instead of... Uh, thinking of random changes in a primordial uh, soup of, mm. of an ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, what if it uh, was just uh, uh, volcanic energy, like these volcanic vents under the ocean, mm-hmm. the team, yeah, team just with life up. at yeah. very high temperature. Mm-hmm. He, he took some hot lava and uh, dropped some amino acids on it and then splashed water on the hot hot rock and amino acids and looked under the microscope and he had what looked like bacteria and uh, in an afternoon he he developed a process so that high school students could create uh, self-replicating energy consuming uh, cell-like structures uh, in an afternoon lab class Hmm. Uh, and uh, so basically he, he demonstrated that that chance is not at all involved in making proteins and DNA. He added uh, the, the bases that, that are used in making up DNA and RNA, and these uh, protein microspheres, uh, self-organizing, integrated and uh, made 
uh, chains, made DNA-like chains out of the, the base uh, precursors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, a, a sort of a self-guiding uh, or a, a cosmically guided yeah. process rather yeah. than, than random uh, chance over uh, time. Yeah, somewhat more like maybe free will and God's will are maybe the same thing in a way. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool stuff. So, on the bacterial level, we always hear about how much bacteria. We've been talking a bit about parasites, Doctor Pete, from in the last couple of weeks. Um, as a biologist, I mean, are we just a lot? Are there just a lot of bacteria everywhere in our body? That our body's really made up of a lot of bacteria. How does it work? Um, uh, no, no, but uh, they they can uh, coexist with us harmlessly. Um, uh, one of the people I got interested in in the 1940s, uh, one of these anomalies that has been excluded from biology and medicine, was Frederick Koch. Hmm. And uh, he developed a cancer treatment uh, about uh, 1915 to 1920. Uh, He was a professor at University of Michigan. And uh, the AMA didn't like his attitude, and so uh, after one or two papers were published uh, describing his uh, work treating cancer successfully, uh, no one would publish any more of his papers. Uh, and uh, He lived uh, decades after that doing doing his own work, but uh, he was written out of out of science and, and medicine, and he showed that the treatment that he used uh, for cancer patients worked for infections, hmm. and it worked simply by activating the oxidative energy system, um, restoring mitochondrial energy production, which activated the immune system and prevented inflammation. And in the process, it made any bacteria which were present, made them harmless uh, by providing them what they needed, preventing stress to the bacteria at the same time that it prevented stress to the host organism. And uh, some of his uh, followers in Canada uh, tested his materials on cows with uh, infected udders, Mm -hmm. Uh, mastitis and showed that uh, they they could demonstrate the infecting organisms coming out in the milk and when the cow was treated uh, their oxidative metabolism improved and the infection disappeared their udder became uninflamed and normal but the number of bacteria present increased the bacteria had become harmless and thrived uh, without hurting uh, hurting the organism at all. And uh, so, what does that mean for us when we t- think about uh, oxidative stress? Um, it, it's exactly <laughs> the wrong idea. Uh, uh, the, the, this uh, people in the 1960s had already uh, demonstrated. It was a wrong approach, but uh, for 50 years, uh, the mainstream has uh, gone crazy on the idea 
of preventing oxidative stress with antioxidants. Yeah. Vitamin C was mm-hmm. sort of a, a cultural uh, icon, uh, the, the basic uh, antioxidant. But in cells, it is present in an oxidized form. I, I experienced this myself in the 1960s. Uh, uh, I decided to uh, stop eating all vitamin C uh, rich foods or supplements and analyze the amount of vitamin C in my urine. It dropped slightly, but I was still putting out 2,000 milligrams a day in my urine uh, weeks after I had stopped eating any. And uh, that got me uh, interested in what's going on uh, energetically and, and oxidatively with with the vitamin C. Uh, where was it coming from? Uh, meat and milk hmm. turn out to have a lot of uh, vitamin C in them, but it isn't uh, present in a form that uh, the ordinary tests uh, can detect. In meat, it's almost all uh, 10 times more uh, uh, vitamin C is present in the form of dehydroascorbate, a fully oxidized form of the molecule rather than ascorbic acid. And so the tests simply are blind to the amount of vitamin C in, in our diet. Uh, because they uh, think it should be in the reducing antioxidant form, but it, it functions in the cell as an oxidant, protecting against oxidative damage by maintaining normal oxidation, which is the, the flow of electrons all the way down to oxygen. As long as the oxygen is sucking up the excess electrons, they won't go wrong and uh, produce damage. So you want to intensify normal oxidation. <clears throat> and uh, if you cut off the oxygen supply, that's where you get the so-called oxidative damage because uh, the reductive pressure, the excess of electrons, uh, shifts senders like iron atoms. It reduces them gives them an extra electron, which they will donate to just about anything, including water, making the water toxic. Uh, So when you cut off uh, the oxygen as the uh, oxidizing source, then water uh, becomes a random oxidizer, and you get what they call oxidative damage, but it's really the result of just exactly the opposite, too much reduction uh, for our oxidative capacity. Well, uh, so what, that sounds, that's pretty geeky. I wasn't able to follow all of it. So what's the takeaway for us, our listeners, and with, with vitamin C, say, example? And so you say our body, we're making all that we need? Uh, I, I, no, but we're getting it from unsuspected sources. Unsuspected sources, like the meat okay. and milk. Uh, yeah, meat and milk and eggs, all uh, the organism uh, is making it themselves and having it right inside their cells, but in a an oxidized form, which is stabilizing their oxidative system. So it's stabilizing their oxidative system, and it goes in as an oxidative form. So that 
is no way detrimental to us, right? Uh, no, that's the form we use. That's the form we use. Mm-hmm. But that's not the form that the, the scientists say you got to have so much vitamin C and blah, 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 and oranges and whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're saying it acts as an antioxidant, but its real function is as an oxidant. Uh, the, uh, the system where proteins are put together in the cell, uh, they call it the endoplasmic reticulum, but it's just a location or, or system that forms proteins. Uh, one of vitamin C's main functions is to keep the oxidized state there for folding the proteins properly, keeping the sulfur atoms in the proteins in a ready-to-be-oxidized state to lock the protein into a stable condition. Uh, Without the vitamin C, the the protein folding goes wrong, Uh, and uh, too many electrons, uh, too little oxygen uh, will uh, overwhelm that oxidizing function of the vitamin C. So what happens when folks take ascorbic acid or other forms of vitamin C supplementation? What's, what goes on in the body? Um, if it's the right amount in the uh, well-nourished person, it goes into the cell and is used as uh, dehydroascorbate uh, and uh, some of it uh, circulating as the reduced form uh, will uh, protect as an antioxidant. It will, for example, put mercury into a reduced form, which isn't dangerous. Hmm. But it also can put iron and copper into a, a reduced form, which is dangerous yeah. uh, in, in those molecules. Some uh, In the Journal of Free Radical Chemistry, I think it was uh, about uh, 20 or 30 years ago, someone uh, noticed that there were trace impurities uh, even of iron uh, in commercial pure uh, reagent grade or USP grade vitamin C and he put uh, I think it was a gram of it in a liter of multiply distilled very pure water and then put that in a machine that detects free radicals electron spin mm-hmm. resonance uh, and showed that uh, it, it would if, if a an X-ray machine had been producing that amount of free radicals, it would have been enough to kill an organism in a few seconds. Uh, but uh, he he said that shows something about our organism that we can eat a gram of vitamin C without dying of free radical poisoning, as if uh, uh, X-rayed to death. Uh, but uh, it was the trace. Uh, elements of, of heavy metals uh, apparently causing the, the production of free radicals with that uh, concentrated vitamin C. Mm-hmm. But wow. in, in the body, uh, that's quickly disposed of, and, and the vitamin C is eliminated as a reductant and turned into a protective oxidant. So, um, the takeaway for you do you take any extra vitamin C supplementation? No, I, I stopped in uh, 1967 or 8. I used to stop. Nothing at all. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I, and um, I uh, stopped having a, a habitual cough uh, 
uh, right after I stopped taking the vitamin C. And uh, so after that, when I would see someone with a habitually runny nose or, or cough, mm-hmm. I would suggest they stop the vitamin C. <laughs> and it generally worked almost always. Is that right? Man, from the motion picture, nothing is as it seems. Just curious. Wow. So much contra um, talk about different things on the planet these days, isn't there? It's pretty pretty fun. We, we've been discussing the vitamin D thing, and we, we talked to a professor, Michael Hollick, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, MIT. He's a pretty cool guy. He was on the show. Then Stephanie Seneff was on, and she had an idea, and... You know, Halleck is, a, I think his takeaway thing was you should take about, I don't know, what, six to 10,000 units would be a reasonable thing. And Dr. Seneff was, she was just wondering, and she wasn't basing this on any science, but she was really curious that if, um, does the supplemental vitamin D actually do something totally different than what the sun does as far as helping us and, uh, so I'd like yeah, to get your I, thoughts on vitamin D in general. I, I think she's very wrong and he's very right. He oh, has, really? Okay. He, he has pretty much turned the culture around on the issue of vitamin D. And I, I think its main function, not not the, the calcium bone building function mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they talk about, I, I think its even more basic function is that it reduces the parathyroid hormone and the parathyroid hormone is an activator of the kidney production of what they call activated vitamin D comma uh, 1,25-hydroxy. The one they uh, measure, uh, the one they measure uh, in the blood test. Uh, well, uh, sometimes they measure that, but the usual one they measure is 25-hydroxy. Oh, 25, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And the, the they they called the one made in the kid, kidney the activated uh, vitamin D and and people who studied that go off on mm. on a separate uh, line of thinking. But the several years ago, uh, a mutant mouse was found uh, that uh, aged very fast in all of the standard ways: mm-hmm. osteoporosis, dementia, wrinkles, gray mm-hmm. hair, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the mutant gene uh, was called Clotho or Clotho uh, uh, after a Greek uh, goddess mm-hmm. or, or uh, some some uh, mythological figure. Uh, and the Clotho gene now is recognized as a regulator of calcium metabolism, and it. Uh, has an anti-parathyroid hormone effect in in many parts of the system, and the vitamin D that we take or that we get from the sunlight works to uh, reinforce Clotho, the anti-aging uh, gene or protein, uh, and at the same time it's lowering the parathyroid hormone and. Uh, in the process, it lowers the so-called active vitamin D. And I, I think uh, the failure to look at uh, at the relation uh, of the so-called active vitamin D to the circulating 25-hydroxy form uh, and see how that compares to all of these 
indicators of health that have been neglected, mm-hmm. not just the bones, uh, but uh, the rate of aging. Uh, and uh, uh, that will help people to unravel things and see uh, why uh, the strange range of health issues that Hollick talks about, uh, how, how they really fit together. And uh, it all has to do with this uh, reductive oxidative uh, balance, uh, the, the flow of energy. And the parathyroid hormone uh, rises when we're deficient, when our diet is deficient in calcium and magnesium and vitamin D, or we aren't getting enough sunlight. And uh, it's part of an emergency system uh, that uh, creates uh, tissue uh, repair and regeneration on, on an emergency scale, but that diverts energy from the long-range uh, purpose of the organism, the, the, the overriding large purpose is to be conscious. Uh, uh, the emergency purpose is to uh, repair tissue damage. Uh, and these uh, hormones, such as parathyroid hormone, are working on the emergency scale and diverting energy uh, from our, our big biological function, uh, uh, consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and an example, uh, uh, many people ha- have noticed that uh, after doing surgery, for, for example, someone with kidney disease, if they remove their parathyroid glands, they will have a remarkable improvement in their health without these supposedly essential glands. Uh, Experimenters on, uh, I think it was mice, uh, maybe rats, uh, anyway, or rodents, they, uh, about a, yeah, it was rats, a fourth of the way through their pregnancy, about five days pregnant, they removed the animals, the mother's uh, parathyroid glands and uh, so, so the babies developed in, in pretty much in the absence of that hormone. And then several generations later, as much as eight or ten generations later, these offspring of that one exposure to a great deficiency of parathyroid hormone, these animals were fertile in old age at the, the age that normal rats have have become sterile and ready to die. Uh, the old uh, rats, uh, descendant of the parathyroid deficient mother, uh, were were still working and and reproducing. So, what are we learning from this? Then, what's what's? Let's break this down a little bit to better understand the vitamin D thing. So, so are you on board then, agreeing with Hollick, where he's saying, at the end of the day, maybe six to ten thousand vitamin D. A supplement would be a reasonable thing. He also said that if you look at the 25-hydroxy on the blood test, that uh, the upper scale would be preferable to him as far as the lower scale. I think that I think the range, Doctor Pete, is somewhere between 30 and 100 on the blood test. Yeah, I think the upper end of the scale is is right, 80 maybe. Yeah. So you you kind of you kind of go along with him, where you think an 80 thing might be a better better serve for humans to be around in that level. Uh, yeah, 50 to 80, I, I think uh, there's pretty 
consistent evidence that that's good. How is it, I wonder, in a fellow like me, I get out of the sun every day, every day, every day. Uh, I just do. I just love sitting out there, especially in midday, and um, with no clothes and stuff. And, uh, and my level was like 38 when I took it about a month ago, which is kind of on the lower end. How, how, can, how can I explain that to myself? Um, the, the older you get, the less cholesterol there is in your skin. Oh, the cholesterol. Uh, yeah, it's basically a cholesterol deficiency in the skin that, that makes older people uh, need much, much more sunlight. Oh, so you could take more and you're not absorbing as much. Um, uh, yeah, there just isn't as much uh, cholesterol in the skin to be turned into vitamin D. Right, okay. So that's the whole mechanism of the cholesterol. But my cholesterol level is way up high and good ones, and, but it's just maybe it's left my skin a little bit. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. the skin, the skin uh, aging. Uh, so, I wonder then if I would take supplemental D, would that number go up, and would that be a good thing for someone like me and other people who have a uh, l- l- uh, yeah, l- it, uh, cholesterol can be rubbed into the skin and uh, helps restore the, the youthful function. Oh, you mean and do it more normally than taking the supplements? I huh. I don't know of any good sources of of a pure uh, cholesterol, but uh, rubbing it into the skin, slight impurities aren't likely to be as much uh, risk as taking it orally. Oh, I wonder, what would you would use pure cholesterol? I don't even know if possible. Just eat, eat meat or eggs, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, eggs are, are a very good source of cholesterol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, um, what is it doing when the levels are good on the 25-hydroxy test at the levels 50 to 80, like you and Alcoholic are proponents of? What's that doing for the, the bodies of the people that have those levels? It's on uh, one side of the, the research. It's helping the clotho protein to work. But the, the, the side that I've been paying more attention to is lowering the parathyroid hormone which is the other side of, of the rising function of the clotho. Uh, and the, all kinds of stress uh, increase uh, to a toxic effect, the parathyroid hormone. Uh, a deficiency of salt or sodium in your diet or, or uh, the inability to retain sodium properly uh, uh, causes the parathyroid hormone to, to rise the same way a, a calcium deficiency does. And so the adrenals under stress, or uh, especially in a sodium salt deficiency, the adrenals produce aldosterone uh, at a higher level, and aldosterone directly blocks your mitochondrial energy production hmm. and and increases the parathyroid hormone activity, which itself functions by blocking your para- blocking your mitochondrial oxidation and making up for it with uh, glycolytic energy production, which shifts you over into the reductive stress, the, the failure of oxidation. Where does it, how does the parathyroid hormone lowering and raising? Uh, tied in with like the T's, TSH levels that people get on the thyroid test? Uh, TSH uh, is increased by 
uh, stress hormones. Right. And uh, so a person with low thyroid uh, doesn't make uh, their oxygen turn into carbon dioxide. They don't have the carbon dioxide needed to retain sodium, and so they lose sodium. Uh, that activates the adrenals to produce uh, aldosterone, and the aldosterone uh, interferes uh, with the mitochondria and, and increases parathyroid hormone. Uh, the, the, the TSH being activated by stress is one of the, uh, in itself, it, it is a signal uh, of stress uh, as well as being a product of stress. Uh-huh. Uh, and the TSH goes around uh, irritating or creating inflammation, for example, in the blood vessels, uh, tending to uh, work with parathyroid hormone. Parathyroid hormone is what uh, shifts calcium out of the bones into the blood vessels. And TSH, uh, in excess, works in that same direction, calcifying uh, the blood vessels, increasing blood pressure. So uh, the uh, traditional recognition that hypothyroid people uh, with uh, the diagnostic high TSH, mm-hmm. uh, hypothyroidism goes with a great risk of hypertension and related diseases. Hmm. But it turns out that it's the TSH directly creating uh, much of that damage to the circulatory system. And it has uh, inflammation-promoting effects in the bone marrow. Uh, everywhere it has been studied, it has a, a tissue-irritating effect. So the stress condition creating uh, more adrenaline and cortisol, for example, uh, these uh, can uh, uh, compensate. Uh, the, the hormones will uh, suppress the TSH and reduce inflammation um, so the, the stress which is creating uh, the hypothyroid need for more uh, thyroid production mm-hmm. tending to mm-hmm. increase TSH it will also produce more cortisol and, and adrenaline to lower the TSH defensively so in the defensive condition you will look like your thyroid is normal because the cortisol is holding the TSH down, protecting against inflammation, but uh, it makes TSH useless as an indicator of your thyroid status because it's just as much an indicator of your stress status. Wow. Boy, really tricky business. So when folks are taking, say, a little bit of nature thyroid or one of those guys, um, and they're getting their TSH level to lower, they're, they're on the right path. They're doing good things, Right. Um, yeah, okay. I, I think it's good to have uh, close to zero oh. on on TSH as long as everything else is going smoothly. Mm-hmm. And how do you know if everything else is going smoothly? Um, stable blood sugar, feeling mm-hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, all all the good functions. Good, good sound sleep, for example, uh, takes energy to the brain to make the brain relax and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that the traditional diets uh, used to contain the equivalent of these uh, natural desiccated uh, thyroids, uh, maybe something like uh, an average of half a grain uh, in the daily food. 
the uh, Europeans used to uh, make sausages, for example, out of all of the glands of an animal. They would they would uh, m- make stew or something out of out of muscle meats, but uh, uh, the, for the flavor, uh, they would put liver and thyroid uh, glands and other tissues in the uh, uh, some some type of, of sausage. Usually, uh, sometimes the whole thing would just go in a big stew pot, and, and so they would get. Uh, muscle and bone and skin and, hmm, and thyroid gland, yeah. and, and uh, if you eat the whole animal that way, you're you're getting your little daily dose of desiccated thyroid equivalent. Yeah, yeah. And you, you had said I wanted to kind of retrace before we do a little break here is that when folks start off, you thought if they were doing it themselves, and you can get these thyroid things now overseas, or clean stuff to do a little bit at a time, maybe do what uh, a fourth of a sixty tab or a grain or like 20, let's see, what did you say? Like 15, would it be 15 milligrams or so and start slow and, and kind of teach the thyroid to be happy with that and work your way up? Um, uh, yeah, uh, traditional thyroid doctors like Brenda Barnes yeah. usually started with 30 milligrams of a well-standardized product, like at that time it was Armour Thyroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I have seen two people uh, uh, who reacted very uh, surprisingly to 15 milligrams, uh, a fourth of a grain, uh, with heart pain. And Hmm. I realized what's happening is that your cells, especially your big muscle uh, cells, uh, retain magnesium and calcium in a balance. Magnesium is a a relaxant. Mm -hmm. uh, and thyroid is needed to for the muscles to retain the proper amount of of magnesium, and your heart has that same uh, magnesium retaining stabilizing effect when your your thyroid is good. But if you're uh, suddenly increasing uh, the, the thyroid when you've been deficient, your muscles, your leg muscles will compete with your heart muscle for uh-huh. that trace of magnesium in your diet. Mm-hmm. And your heart uh, arteries will constrict and you'll get a heart pain. So uh, it, 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 it's uh, very important to make sure that your diet includes plenty of magnesium when you're starting to use thyroid. Which is magnesium-rich foods. And, uh, yeah. yeah. As, uh, uh, for example, milk has a, a mm-hmm. good amount of magnesium in it. Milk and meat will will provide the magnesium, but many people uh, have a low intake of those. And then they, uh, it's only uh, two people that I've seen out of about a thousand who had that reaction, but it's something to keep in mind. Really? So have you seen people that actually have felt better and then thus lowered their TSH number down closer to zero, just on 15 or even 30? Uh, milligrams of the thyroid meds, you know, the the, the natural stuff? The ones oh, that the T3 uh, and the T4, I guess, is the one we're talking about, right? Sometimes uh, 30 milligrams will do it, uh, uh, but uh, historically, uh, it usually is around uh, 100 milligrams or 120 uh, of the desiccated stuff to uh, reach a, a stable uh, anti-inflammatory 
uh, level. But you still like working your way up there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, traditionally, they would take five or six months of increasing at 30 milligrams at a time before they would be... Uh, oh, so over a long period, just a little bit. 15, uh, 15, yeah. yeah, yeah, just slowly, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense to help the body to figure out what's going on, huh? Saying, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Stay right there, Dr. Pete. Boy, we have lots of uh, emails. Holy cow. Uh, uh, so we're going to get to them all. And uh, Dr. Ray Pete is with us, and he's said, yeah, for the time being, as long as the creeks don't rise, and I can come on once a month, and that would be the th- uh, third Tuesday of the month, and that's today. So we appreciate him doing that. And we're going to get your emails, all of them, and... Um, we're going to do it. Hold on. Daniel Vitalis talks about his two premier medicinal mushroom products, Chaga and Reishi. Because Reishi and Chaga are considered not just adaptogens, but they're also considered immunomodulators, they're safe for daily consumption for a lifetime. There's a lot of herbs, as you know, Patrick, a lot of herbs are not that way. So many medicinal herbs are, are meant to be used for short periods of time. But there are those few that can be used daily forever, and medicinal mushrooms are that way. So these would be called the tonic, tonic Yep, herbs. they're essentially tonic, but if we wanted to get even more specific, they're adaptogenic. I feel like we've set a new standard, and it's going to, we raise the bar, but, uh, but check it out, see where the bar has been risen to. You can learn more about these great medicinal mushroom products on Daniel's site. Tonic herbs, adaptogens, dual extraction, fruit bodies. And they're tonics and can be used every day. Modulates the immune system. Shaga and Rishi, special Myron Glass from Sir Thrival on OneRadioNetwork.com. These are very nice and uh, a lot more, um, you know, few more and more people are kind of jumping in on the medicinal mushroom idea uh, that's been used for, you know, a long time in Chinese and Ayurveda medicine. And it might be something you want to pick up on and uh, play around with. And uh, Daniel Vitalis has he's got a good one. Uh, the uh, Flora PM, all the different uh, probiotics from Living Streams. These pro- these are really powerful. I've never experienced probiotics like this ever, and I've messed around with a lot of them, as you can imagine. Even the fancy, expensive ones in a refrigeration case and all of that. And uh, these don't require refrigeration. You don't want to let them get real, real, real hot if you don't have air conditioning in the summer. I put mine in the fridge because I don't do AC here, but you can play around with them. And put some in your ears and put some in your eyes. The the um, Bifido 2 in your eyes. A few drops and also the Flora PM in your eyes. And you'll see little gunky stuff and your eyes kind of brighten up and clear up. With I don't know what's in there, what's coming out of there. But you can uh, then do the Bifido 2 in your ears. And it'll go all the way down to the small intestine through the through the lymph system. You can put them in your belly button. Um, uh, we like to use the multi-blend in, in our water. After we've, uh, you know, put some hydrogen in there and, and, and structured it up in the multi-blend and, and the minerals, it's a wonderful way to get minerals. I think Brian Wayne says there's about 80 or 87 minerals or so that showed up uh, when they have these guys test it. It's a nice way, probiotics, uh, to help to absorb the minerals. We think you're going to like this product. Um, and if you don't think they work, I mean, if you just, or just you know, just take a little bit more. Take a little bit more than what they recommend and uh, you'll see the difference. Things kind of move in your body like, whoa, what's going on here? So so they're powerful. You be careful. You start small. But then you can take more and more and uh, really build up some good things going on in your stomach. I'm I'm really enjoying taking them. These these work like probiotics are really supposed to work. They just work like probiotics are supposed to work. And uh, Living Streams, 
probiotics in our store and oneradionetwork.com. Lots to choose from. Previously with Mr. Oxygen, Ed McCabe, we asked him this. Does sulfur, does it bring oxygen to the cells as well? Yes, that's what oxygen, sulfur are just... That's what it does. Kissing cousins, they love each other. The sulfur takes the oxygen. Now, in the beginning, we would have people stuff themselves with oxygen, either ozone or transport for oxygen in there, in not not the burnt-out, dead MSM that sells millions and millions of dollars worth in the health food stores and other places all over the world. It's worthless. You have to get the real organic. So don't ever shop price at MSM because you're just going to get garbage. You need the organic super sulfur. Real, pure, living sulfur. Organic sulfur. That's what we sell right here. Three prices depending on where you live. If you'd like more than four pounds, email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. We'll give you a discount. Order anytime, front page, click OneRadioNetwork.com. And one of the ways you can really tell is you leave some of the bottom of the glass, uh, just some, you know, just a little fine film of water and sulfur, and you'll see they'll grow crystals uh, in the next day or two. Pretty trippy, and that's, so there, it's alive in there, doing something. We really like it. We've uh, been working with this product for, gosh, a long time. And it's on our store, so, and, and on the front page too. Check it out. We talk about your health, wealth, and well-being on OneRadioNetwork.com. Talking to Dr. Ray Pete, a nutritional counselor. Been around for a long time working with this back in the 60s. And and uh, um, pleasure to have him here from now. We're going to get him on once a month, so that's cool. So, Dr. Pete, you want to take some emails here? Sure, sure. Sure, why not? Let's have some fun. This is from Masha. Uh, what is the purpose of the endogenous unsaturated fats, and why are they, like meat acid, not harmful, contrary to ingested PUFAs, such as omega-3s or omega-6s? The omega-9 series uh, that we manufacture uh, out of saturated fat or or sugar or or starch, uh, the Omega-9 means that there are uh, nine saturated carbons uh, lacking double bonds at the tail end uh, of the molecule. Uh, the acid end uh, is, is uh, the um, chemically uh, manipulable uh, end that, that the body handles with, with enzymes and adds to the length of the chain at that end and so the omega-9 series the unstable uh, water uh, relatively water loving unsaturated uh, carbon bonds are closer to the uh, active end of the molecule where the acid end is creating a, a, a slight a shift away from electron uh, uh, activity. Uh, the, the acid, the oxygen groups, uh, cause a retraction uh, of electrons uh, uh, wherever this acid touches. Uh, carbon dioxide is is the uh, basic acidic group that stabilizes the electronic system of proteins and other molecules and 
the acidic uh, end of, of the fat molecule is like a carbon dioxide uh, group, which is protecting against uh, free uh, toxic electrons. And so these unstable double bonds are close to the protective uh, acidic end of the fat molecule, uh, leaving the stable uh, uh, oily uh, uh, oil loving uh, part part of the molecule uh, to uh, have a, a surface creating effect on on the water uh, that is exposed to it. So it um, when water is at a surface, whether it's air or oil, uh, the water, the, the film that you see on on a cup of water that you can uh, balance a pin on, uh, float a pin on, hmm. uh, it, it's so tough that it can, can support uh, a considerable object like a, a water skater bug. Uh, the oily end of the molecule puts water into that tough, stable condition uh, and the acidic end uh, protects the, the water uh, 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 relatively hydrophilic uh, unsaturated ends uh, so <clears throat> the, the overall picture is that the, the unsaturated fats that we make uh, have some affinity for water but it's it's held under control uh, and protected against oxidation by the in effect the carbon dioxide integrated close to that uh, unsaturated part of the molecule allowing a, a nine carbon tail to have a strong influence in toughening up uh, the water surrounding uh, this protein fat system the, the uh, omega uh, minus uh, minus three system is the least stable because it has only a short uh, uh, three carbon uh, uh, hydrophobic tail, uh, so it has less contribution to the the film property of water. Uh, the water is less uh, tough uh, and and uh, protected. Uh, when when you have th these fats, and at the same time, uh, the um, uh, r risky, uh, easily oxidized uh, double bonds are, are uh, farther away from the protective uh, acid group at the, at the end, other end of the fat. Wow! I mean, so we humans, and I guess olive oil is one of the the um, safest oils? Um, I, yeah, because hmm. it, it has only 8 or 10 or 12 percent of the mm -hmm. uh, omega minus 6, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, they uh, are more stable than the, than the fish oils, uh, but not as stable as the ones we make. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, th we can turn uh, the, um, the bulk oil is... Uh, an omega-9 uh, uh, mono-unsaturated fat. Uh, and uh, so uh, olive oil is providing uh, pretty much the, the same uh, fat 
composition that sugar would provide. Uh, sugar would be turned, any fat we make from sugar is all omega minus 9. Uh, olive oil, something like uh, 60 to 80 percent, is this uh, safe mono, monounsaturated. And that's the one that theoretically raises the HDL levels, which we like, is that correct? No, no, not, not, not necessarily. Uh, stress uh, raises HDL. I thought HDL was good to have that number high. Uh, that, uh, yeah, it often turns out that way, but there are many situations uh, in which it's a precursor to cancer. Oh, I see. So it's not that simple. I guess we went through a lot of years saying, take olive oil because it raises your HDL, and the higher uh, your HDL, right, the healthier you are. Remember, we went through that phase. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the HDL is a, a protective reaction to stress, mm-hmm. but if it's too high for too long, uh, that is associated with, with some degenerative problems. Yeah. Do you think we're ever going to know, I mean, in our lifetimes, of really, the really nitty-gritty, Dr. Pete, of what, what goes on when we react to a stressful situation on planet Earth? I mean... It's probably pretty di- just difficult to tell exactly all the the negative things that go on. Um, uh, well, <clears throat> I I think that's the, the thing that uh, Jeremy England yeah. uh, uh, and others working in the in the tradition started by Vernadsky. Uh, I think that's basically what they're what working they're on. Really trying to figure out. Yeah. Uh, Linda writes in: uh, Babies are generally given. Vitamin K, a synthetic form right after birth. Newborns are generally deficient in K. Is there an oral form that can be administered instead of the injection, which is aluminum in it, among the other things? Oh, I didn't know they did that to babies. Um, uh, yeah, for, for a long time they were using the very toxic, uh, uh, I think it's uh, K3 mm-hmm. synthetic vitamin K, but at least now they're using a, a non-toxic form adding toxins to it but uh, yeah it <clears throat> it works um, even transdermally uh, you need a bigger dose but uh, it is absorbed through the skin so uh, if if the mother uh, was eating vitamin K while she was pregnant uh, the baby wouldn't need a supplement but it can be uh, supplemented on the lips or mm-hmm. orally or, or on the skin what about K2 uh do we need K2? Is it good to have that with the vitamin D? Um, uh, yeah, it, mm-hmm. uh, it's involved in energy production, not just clotting. Uh, and in the clotting system, it's actually uh, needed to make anti-clotting proteins. Protein C and protein S mm-hmm. are, are intrinsic uh, protection against abnormal clotting. So... Uh, a vitamin K deficiency uh, can cause uh, excess bleeding, but also leads to uh, abnormal clotting and, and strokes. And it, it's involved in calcium metabolism, protecting the, the blood vessels uh, against uh, calcification, uh, the, the same way that vitamin D and, and calcium in the diet do. Yeah. Uh, and it's involved in synthesizing brain chemicals. Uh, but actually in the mitochondrion, it's working with coenzyme Q10 to produce energy, stabilizing that system. Mm-hmm. 
When we use the term strokes in our culture, or just generally people, I, I, is, it, is it the idea that at some point something happens in the blood clots and it'll, it'll just cause big problems in the brain and strokes and heart? Is that what we generally say strokes are? Um, uh, yeah, officially. Officially? Uh, they're yeah. they're, they're uh, several times as frequent uh, 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 clotting type type strokes as bleeding type strokes. I see. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if, if you actually look at the data, uh, uh, any extremely old person is, is likely to be having small bleeding strokes, uh, microscopic uh, uh, capillary level bleeding uh, in, in their brain and other tissues. Uh, and I think vitamin K uh, and uh, progesterone and thyroid and vitamin D and all these things protect against that uh, mm-hmm. uh, m- multiplicity of small bleeding mm-hmm. strokes. A- and the uh, 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 so-called uh, transient ischemic uh, attack uh, is uh, uh, a constriction uh, of small arteries uh, caused by uh, reduced energy production uh, Carbon dioxide is the normal vasodilator in the brain, and if your brain is just not getting enough sugar or oxygen, it stops making enough carbon dioxide, and so the the arteries constrict and uh, shut off completely, uh, and uh, taking extra carbon dioxide or extra uh, sugar can sometimes uh, break the transient ischemic attack. Uh, the, the the stress hormones uh, providing increased blood sugar uh, will usually stop that transient constrictive e- effect. Uh, the uh, uh, stress hormone, uh, the, one of the basic triggers of the stress system is serotonin, and under stress, the uh, the brain concentration of, of serotonin increasing is what turns on the ACTH uh, cortisol stress hormone system but in the process the increased serotonin in the brain reduces circulation of the brain hmm. and I, I think it's one of the uh, constrictive factors that uh, reduces the production of carbon dioxide uh, and uh, tends to tighten up uh, blood vessels and, and reduce uh, oxidation uh, and the use of a glucose in the brain. And how do we increase this carbon dioxide? Um, uh, in an emergency, um, rebreathing in a paper bag, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you can. Uh, I, I've seen people uh, lower uh, uh, crisis level blood pressure uh, in uh, just a few hours by uh, every 30 minutes or so uh, breathing as long as they can in a paper bag, uh, breathing for one or two minutes in an average-sized paper bag. Uh, you run out of oxygen and, and uh, have to stop, but then uh, uh, resting a while, uh, you can do it again. And the, the increase in carbon dioxide by recycling it will relax blood vessels, especially in the brain, but throughout the system. And so the resistance to uh, circulation of the blood drops as the carbon dioxide <clears throat> opens up the blood vessels and uh, that can uh, 
restore functions of the brain, breaking a, a transient uh, stroke effect. But it also, by uh, reducing the resistance to circulation, makes your blood, makes your heart able to uh, produce a bigger stroke with less effort. So it, it can relax the, uh, reduce the, the strain on the heart while the, the heart is pumping much more efficiently. Hmm. Dr. Ray Pete is with us. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Pete said that a processed liver supplement was not a good thing. Could you ask him if a processed thyroid supplement is good, bad? I did not get results from the desiccated thyroid prescription, so I went to a grass-fed thyroid supplement out of New Zealand. He suggested a desiccated thyroid product of Mexico, maybe. Hope to find that info on your site. Um, uh, no, uh, about uh, 30 years ago, <clears throat> the, the <clears throat> uh, standard for, for uh, almost 100 years was Armour Thyroid, but uh, the Armour company sold uh, their their trade name uh, and business, uh, and uh, immediately it started. The formula started changing. Uh, went through about ten years of uh, periodic <clears throat> changes of the recipe, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I lost confidence in that one. And uh, before uh, that happened, th- there had been several. Uh, uh, thyroid products sold through pharmacies for about 30 or 40 years and someone sent 10 of these products <clears throat> to a, an analytical lab that could detect tissue uh, 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 an immunological test and they found that 8 of the 10 samples bought in a drugstore as prescription thyroid uh, USP Eight of the ten contained no thyroid tissue at all. Really? Wow. And uh, <laughs> uh, the, 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 that, that was probably deliberate fraud, but uh, uh, there, uh, it, it's somewhat of, of a, uh, a refined technology of, of making good thyroid product. Uh, you have to uh, know that you're getting the actual thyroid gland. Uh, I've seen people mistake uh, lymph nodes for thyroid gland, so you have to know that the the person uh, producing the, the the thyroid gland crude product knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, then you have to uh, know that it's being processed carefully. Uh, simply removing the fat w- with a solvent so that it's uh, stable doesn't deteriorate with with oxygen exposure, uh, and then that they don't extract uh, part of the chemistry uh, uh, before they sell it as a thyroid product. Uh, some of the companies are, are taking out thyrocalcitonin, which is one of the natural hormones that should be in the thyroid product. But uh, And the, the, the uh, almost all of the thyroid products made in the U.S. now claim that they contain a, a certain amount per per um, grain, a certain amount of T4 mm-hmm. and a certain amount of T3. Right. But there should be none of those. They shouldn't be <laughs> uh, in there? Uh, no, the, the, it should be uh, thyroglobulin with only the slightest trace amounts, if any, of the actual hormones. That, that's the characteristic of, of the 
thyroid product is that it's uh, almost pure protein defatted and we digest it and in the process of digesting uh, the thyroglobulin our enzymes release the T4 and T3 and some some T2 hormone it it shouldn't be in the product but I think the FDA encouraged this uh, misleading uh, really really false labeling wow so where can we get this good old just thyroglobulin? Is that even available? That, that, that's in, in all of the true desiccated mm-hmm. thyroid mm-hmm. products, but the, it shouldn't be labeled that it contains I see. The, the hormones. Mm-hmm. It, it should be uh, labeled according to the actual uh, protein content. Are you familiar with this, this one that's made in, in is it in Thailand? Um, it was a fellow, uh, yeah. Are you yeah, familiar uh, with that uh, one? A chemist yeah. that con- contacted me said he had uh, done tests on it, and it was labeled as containing so much T4 and T3. He said he couldn't find a trace of these uh, hormones in it. Was it a fraudulent product? And I said, no, it shouldn't contain those yeah, hormones. It shouldn't, right. And, and, yeah. and so he hydrolyzed the product with uh, hydrochloric acid and wrote back a few days later and said, uh, now it contains full amount of of the hormones. Uh, it, uh, he hydrolyzed it the same way our stomach acid would. Oh, so maybe maybe that's a pretty good product. I, um, there was a fellow, I guess he went over to Thailand because he was tired of this nonsense going on with thyroid, and he's making this, and you can actually buy it. I think it's like he, he, he goes by something like postage stamps or something. You know the product I'm talking about? Uh, no. No, you don't? Yeah. Oh, well. Boy. So, if one were going to go out and get a hold of the good stuff now, where would they go? The good stuff. I don't... I'm not sure which to recommend, but uh, yeah. people have told me in the last few months that they were having good results from, I think, the uh, Nature Thread and uh, WP... I, th- I think they said they were getting consistent results. But for about 30 years, I've been using the synthetic equivalents that were based on the old armor composition. Uh, Thyrolar was their company's uh, formula for a synthetic equivalent. And then Sinoplus uh, exactly copied the Thyrolar proportions. Uh, and so I've been using... Sino Plus uh, now for about 35 years, uh, and it's very reliable and consistent. Oh, the Sino Plus, that's uh, T3, right? More T3? Uh, uh, no, yeah. it's a, a mixture of uh, a 4 to 1 ratio of T4 to T3, uh, and uh, the same company makes a pure T3 called Sino Mel. Sino Mel. So the Sino Plus, so you get that out of Mexico, right? Uh, yeah. Oh. The, the, um, they, they're they're constantly being interfered with by uh, American drug company competition. Yeah, I bet they are. Um, <clears throat> okay. I lost my place here. Sorry, bear with me a second. Okay. Mm. Did Dr. Pete has talked about before on your show about how tyrosine is a protective protein and it's found in gelatin. 
Are there any good food sources of tyrosine, plant-based sources? Oh, uh, I, I think uh, uh, did you say tyrosine? Tyrosine, right. Tyrosine. Uh, gly- glycine, glycine and proline I, I think are the main uh, reasons for using gelatin. gelatin. Uh, uh, glycine is something like uh, oh, 35 or 40 percent of the uh, uh, amino acids uh, and uh, glycine and proline have a cell stabilizing anti-inflammatory effect and uh, gelatin is completely free of the amino acids that uh, are pro-inflammatory uh, anti-thyroid and even carcinogenic tryptophan is a, a carcinogenic amino acid promoting inflammation, excess uh, serotonin, for example, uh, and cysteine uh, uh, can be uh, pro-inflammatory. Uh, methionine is another amino acid that is not in glycine. Uh, methionine uh, is a, a longevity and shortening amino acid. So. Uh, uh, gelatin being free of those three potentially toxic amino acids uh, is a very protective uh, protein for uh, a mature person who, who isn't growing. Uh, so, so that's one of the reasons why you like the, the the gelatin product as your if you want to do a protein powder rather than something else, a whey or bean or rice uh, or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, and. These amino acids that have the toxic effect are also very susceptible to oxidation. Mm. Uh, uh, tryptophan and, and cysteine uh, can become toxic, uh, more toxic than normal when, when they're dehydrated and exposed to oxygen. So almost all proteins are degraded and made pro-inflammatory by dehydration, even with so-called freeze-drying. The drying process itself uh, tends to create oxidation of those amino acids. Uh, so uh, gelatin is is unique, as far as I know, in being uh, pretty stable to dehydration. Mm-hmm. Dear Dr. Pete, uh, if powdered eggshells is pure calcium carbonate, why not just buy calcium carbonate tablets from the store and forget the process of boiling the eggshells and then grinding them to a powder to increase one's calcium intake. Um, if the uh, uh, manufacturer of the powder or the tablets used uh, oyster shells mm-hmm. uh, or, or egg shells, uh, they would get a, a pure, safe product. But uh, you, you can't count on that. Uh, when people have analyzed uh, various calcium carbonate products, uh, the, the eggshell was always the purest, uh, very close uh, to oyster shells. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the oysters are, are taken from a polluted uh, uh, part of the ocean, uh, they can have some uh, contaminants. But uh, eggshells are, are consistently the, the, the least chemically contaminated uh, source of calcium carbonate. Interesting. Second point of his question, he says, my joint pain is greatly subsided simply by putting a quarter teaspoon of baking soda in my coffee each morning 
as well as drinking a half teaspoon in water before I go to bed in the evening. Do you see any issues with this routine of mine? Uh, no, it's it's actually uh, filling in uh, for a potential calcium deficiency. Uh, the the hmm. sodium uh, is tending to lower your um, adrenal aldosterone production, and aldosterone is an age-promoting, inflammation-promoting, fibrosis-promoting hmm. hormone. So keeping that low by a little uh, supplement of sodium is good. The bicarbonate uh, is turned, once it gets in the bloodstream, it's absorbed by cells. If they happen to be deficient in carbon dioxide, they can turn the, the bicarbonate uh, into carbon dioxide, acidifying cells, keeping them in the protected oxidizing state. Uh, so a little baking soda it, it is generally very protective. Uh, athletes at, at the start of a, a, a marathon a bicycle race, for example, have taken a tablespoon of baking soda and greatly increased their endurance. <laughs> uh, lot, lots of people take a teaspoon at a time, but uh, even a smaller amount can, can be protective. Very interesting. Is sulfated castor oil, writes an emailer, turkey red oil, safe to use as soap, uh, is lanolin a safe moisturizer? Two questions there. Turkey oil. Turkey oil. Uh, uh, for soap? Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think it's probably okay if it doesn't smell like turkeys. Yeah. Well, you don't uh, smell and, like turkeys. And, and lanolin, uh, it's a very stiff oil, so it helps to thin it with a little uh, coconut oil or, or MCT or something to make it spreadable. But besides being a, a protecting sealing agent so your skin doesn't de- dehydrate, it, it tends to hold moisture in the skin just by forming a seal. But at the same time, it's uh, uh, I think it's uh, more than 50% of a precursor steroid to cholesterol. Uh, so I, I think it's uh, to the extent that it can be dissolved, like if it's maybe olive oil or MCT or something thinner, uh, to the extent that it can dissolve into the skin, it's going to have an anti-aging effect by supporting the local production of cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that Mr. Pete is not a fan of whey protein powders. I was wondering if he could recommend other form of protein powders that could use. So, with gelatin for you? Uh, gelatin is the only protein I know of that is stable during dehydration. Hmm. Can you take a lot of that? I mean, if you want, if people want to eat a lot of it, is it okay? Um, uh, yeah, uh, 30 grams of uh, the uh, a book on the medical use of gelatin that was uh, published, I think, about 1940 and distributed My goodness. Uh, uh, by, I think, the Great Lakes Gelatin people, ha- yeah. Yeah. has been distributing uh, the book. Uh, it, it described uh, treating diabetes and colitis, for example, with, uh, I think, 30 grams a day was uh, the most they recommended, but uh, I, I've known people to use 60 grams a day with very good results. I'll be, I, I think it's, I, I have to look at the can, but I, and then there are about uh, 10 grams of protein per tablespoon. 
That'd be a lot if you wanted to get 60. It'd be t- six uh, tablespoons, yeah. but, you know, I don't know if it works. Yeah, it seems weird, though, that... And they say it's grass-fed and organic. Well, grass-fed on the label, but they use the hide of the, the cows, right? That's where it comes from. Uh, yeah. Huh. Uh, and uh, hmm. pork and, and uh, beef gelatin is... As far as I can tell, there's no difference, but some people uh, think they they have uh, uh, digestive irritation from the pork gelatin, so you, you can specify which you want, beef or pork. Yeah. So now when you take uh, uh, beef or, or, or pork bones, you can different pig's feet and ham hocks and stuff and make your own um, a bone broth, there's a lot of gelatin in there, right? Oh, oh yeah. If you cool it, and it becomes solid. Yeah, just solid. And, yeah, yeah. So that's what you want. I, I did that with chicken feet, some organic chicken feet, uh, Doctor Pete. And yeah. and after I took, you know, I had a nice bowl of it with some carrots and onions and garlic, and then I put it in the fridge. It was so thick, you had to take it literally a big spoon to get it out. That's how much gelatin was in there. Wow, man. Yeah, it should bounce. <laughs> yeah, it should bounce. So this is the. This would actually be. Maybe even a step up from doing the Great Lakes or similar in, in its efficacy? Uh, oh, uh, you, you get some of the chicken flavor when you use sure, sure. W- yeah. wings and feet, so oh, it's tastier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you want to hear a potato story? Uh, you're a fan of dextrinization, right? Dextrinized foods? No, not especially. Oh, not, yeah. oh I thought you were. Oh. No. Anyway, I dextrinized a uh, potato in a, what I, in, a, in a crock pot for about... 12 hours yesterday we were talking about on the show and boy it really came out good just in a crock pot just for uh, uh, yeah, yeah long cooking yeah. Uh, it breaks down the starch so it's easier to digest yeah. but uh, usually 40 minutes to an hour is, is safe plenty enough. yeah yeah but and you, you do it like what, four, 375 or something or 400 um, I, I never th- thought of just boiling temperature was all I used Oh, you, just to boil it, just to boil it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Pete has said in a young person, good food, sunlight, and a high altitude can often overcome severe inflammatory conditions. Hmm. And then when an older, in quotes, person whose tissues contain larger amounts of polys and their breakdown products, it takes more environmental support to get them out of chronic inflammatory pattern. Can you such, share? Such as aspirin and coffee. Oh, such as aspirin and coffee. That's what he said, some specific remedies for folks that can do to break out the chronic inflammation pattern. Uh, Yeah, and vitamin D and thyroid. Mm -hmm. That'll do it, huh? Mm -hmm. What's the difference, um, folks who want to live in like a high, very low humidity, high altitude, like a Colorado compared to equator stuff? Is there any any of those living conditions that that are more conducive to longevity and health, in your opinion? Um, yeah, uh, studies in New Mexico and Switzerland have shown heart disease decreases in proportion uh, to increasing altitude. Really? Every thousand feet, they saw about a, I think it was about a two percent decrease in mortality every thousand feet you end up. I wonder and what that's about. I wonder what did they did they say why that was? Um, I, it, your body retains. Uh, more carbon dioxide when you adapt slowly. If, if you rush up to uh, 8,000 feet in, in a day, right. uh, you might get altitude sickness. But uh, the people who are low thyroid at sea level 
and think they're breathing okay are really hyperventilating chemically at sea level. And when hmm. those people go suddenly up to high altitude, their hyperventilation shows up and, and they get uh, swelling of the lungs and brain and, and get sick. But uh, if you adapt slowly, it will tend to correct hypothyroidism. Your T3 production goes up uh, and uh, your, your blood becomes more fluid, even though uh, more concentrated, uh, carries uh, oxygen more effectively. Very interesting. Uh, uh, and in, inflammation goes down. That's the main thing. Uh, the, the Russians for uh, about 50 years were doing uh, high altitude therapy for allergies, uh, arthritis, huh. heart disease, uh, and they even did studies in animals, at least, in which uh, sending the cancer-treated animals that should 100% die of cancer to 17,000 feet altitude, about 50% of them threw off the cancer. Interesting. On the heart, on the heart study thing you mentioned on the high altitude or, or the dryness, more low, lower humidity, was it was that looking at uh, myocardial infarctions and actually heart muscle or the atherosclerosis idea with heart disease? Uh, they were just looking at the deaths from heart disease. Heart just death in general, but, right? Yeah, very great reduction. And <laughs> the insurance companies have seen for more than a hundred years they've seen a great reduction in cancer mortality in high altitudes. And there's been some publicity in the last several years. It just came on the news again yesterday or the day before uh, about high altitude uh, causing suicide by lowering uh, serotonin. Uh, Several people have been uh, researching uh, this in Colorado, uh, which does have a a high suicide level, and, right. and they they noticed that uh, serotonin goes down as altitude goes up, and so they said uh, if serotonin is the happy mm-hmm. hormone and you have less, then maybe uh, suicide uh, occurs at high altitude because of loss of serotonin. But actually, that is totally wrong. Totally serotonin, wrong. <laughs> yes, serotonin does go down as altitude goes up. And that's why the uh, mortality from heart disease and cancer uh, goes down. But uh, if you look at suicide rates in relation to altitude, uh, and forget about Colorado, Mm -hmm. uh, the very low countries, uh, if, if you look at the three countries that have been number one for suicide, extremely high suicide rates, in the last 10 or 20 years. South Korea, I think it was Lithuania, uh, and uh, uh, Bangladesh, very low altitude countries, extremely high suicide rates. And then the lowest suicide rates in the world have generally been uh, Mexico, Colombia, and Bolivia. High altitude altitude countries, countries, yeah, interesting. And I think that's the actual effect of altitude. Yeah. Improves health and reduces depression. Any challenges with living uh, low humidity, uh, like places like Colorado for over many years? I mean, does that pose any health issues or challenges? Uh, Yeah, it seems to make your skin uh, uh, drier. Drier. 
You just got to put more gooey stuff on it or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably so. Or eat more chicken feet. Um, could you ask Dr. Pete what he thinks regarding a carnivore or strictly animal foods diet? Um, um, yeah, she's got two parts. Let's do that one first. Yeah, that's kind of big now. It's another fad. Carnivore, just all animal foods diet. What? Um, if that includes milk and cheese and eggs mm-hmm. and, and oysters, uh, 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 that that's a, a pretty good diet. But it, uh, if you don't include uh, the, the bones or or the uh, the milk and cheese, then it can be a dangerously high phosphate-rich diet. Phosphate. Uh, yeah, you should take in about equal amounts of calcium and phosphorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you eat only the the muscle meats, uh, then you have something like a 10 to 1 ratio of uh, phosphate to calcium, which is very pro-inflammatory and pro-degenerative disease. That could be a challenge with the classic paleo diet, right? That they don't like dairy or stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. Give me, uh, do you, do you, just in general, do you think... I don't know if we probably talked about it, but I can't recall. Um, like just brown rice or organic brown rice or jasmine or even quinoa or mm, these kind of things, millets. Um, these things that we need, are they just something extra to eat? Are they, are they valuable to us? The, the reason the Chinese developed the white rice uh, product thousands of years ago is that... Uh, uh, the, the fats in rice are very highly unsaturated and get rancid almost immediately uh, uh, in a warm temperature. Uh, in a cold climate, they, they fall off the plant when the, mm-hmm. the weather is cool mm-hmm. and they live during the winter and then uh, sprout when the weather is warmer. Uh, and so the, the polyunsaturated fat is... Uh, not harmful to the plant, but if, if you store it in the unprocessed uh, uh, condition, uh, then it's very uh, likely to be rancid by the time you eat it, uh, and uh, then when you assimilate those fats, they uh, proceed to become more oxidized in your body. Hmm. So I, I think the traditional Chinese way of making white rice uh, and then cooking it thoroughly, uh, it, it's a uh, a good source of carbohydrate. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the last part, uh, I, I, I missed uh, the last part. You say tra- 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 traditional way, you mean soaking it and all of that? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, but processing it, uh, removing the, the, the bran and oh, the, I see. the I germ. See. And they also, uh, tr- thousands of years ago, uh, developed the process of, of soaking it in lime, or lye. Right. Uh, ashes, for example, wh- which form lye when, when they're wet, uh, that will digest uh, the starch and uh, convert the tryptophan to uh, vitamin B, to niacin, and uh, make the, the, uh, m- much of the fat go off in the solution. Uh, so the, the ideal way to eat rice or corn is... Uh, the lime processed. Uh, the Mexican form is is called nixtamalized 
corn mm-hmm. or, or um, mixed them all. Mm-hmm. Also, what are your thoughts, writes an emailer, on high oxalate foods such as potatoes, nuts and seeds, darky leafy greens causing oxalate toxicity? I don't think it's a problem if you uh, have good digestion and uh, a good thyroid function. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a, a potential problem if your um, calcium metabolism is going haywire. You can form uh, calcium oxalate stones, but uh, a calcium deficiency in your diet is one of the things that increases the stress hormones a parathyroid hormone makes you uh, mishandle calcium. That increases the tendency to form stones. I see. Uh, here's an email. I've always pasteurized milk, especially like ultra-pasteurized. Was, I've always heard pasteurized and ultra-pasteurized was not good because the high heat damaged the fats and proteins, and this is what caused the allergic problems and everything else. Is this true? And, and then how can we heat and eat meat and fish is that a problem also? So cooking. Let's do, start with the milk. You, you said that the pasteurized milk—that's not a problem. Is that correct? If I understand? Um, uh, yeah, the ultra pasteurized tastes funny, mm-hmm. and, and that goes with a slight loss of of uh, vitamin A, for example, and vitamin C. Uh, there. I, I think it's about a, a 20 or 30 percent loss, uh, but mostly it's a taste problem when it's ultra-pasteurized. But uh, the good-tasting pasteurized milk uh, has, uh, I think it has been held at the uh, temperature only for a few seconds and then quickly cooled, uh, and it can taste uh, just as good as, as uh, unpasteurized milk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even unpasteurized or raw milk, are you, do you like to just, if you want to heat it up to 160 and bring it back down? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the longer it stays at 160, the more flavor it loses. Right, right, right. Yeah. So any issues on this email with uh, when we cook meat and fish? Is that a problem for us? As similar. If it's overcooked, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cholesterol is... Uh, progressively oxidized. So, quick cooking at high temperature. Uh, for example, they've they've compared different meats. Uh, 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 salmon was was the most interesting because poached salmon had many times more toxic oxidized cholesterol hmm. uh, than uh, quick quickly broiled uh, salmon. Hmm. Same same with steak. If you slow cook a steak, it tastes bad, and part of that is your uh, fats and cholesterol have been uh, seriously oxidized. So that's what the the kind of an overcooked flavor is when you uh, overcook yeah. meat. It's a, it's an oxidation of the fat in there. Uh, yeah, huh. uh, and uh, that if you can uh, bring it up to temperature in in just two or three minutes. Uh, that's best, like a flash pasteurization of milk. Oh, I see. Uh, it uh, preserves the flavor and the nutrients. Ellen writes in, can Dr. Pete recommend a safe cholesterol product to rub into the skin? No. No. Don't know anything about what's available now. No. 
Just do butter or something. Be good. My, green, <laughs> my daughter has a... Yeah, butter might work. There's a lot of cholesterol in there, right? Yeah, butter and uh, 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 lanolin. Lanolin, sure, yeah. My daughter has a condition called EPP where her liver, her liver doesn't flush out porphyrins as they build up in the body and causes sensitivities to the sun. Hmm. EPP experts recommend a higher carb diet. As they say, there is an enzyme in the carbs that cleans out the excess porphyrins. Is Dr. Pete aware of anything like this and what I could do to help her? Hmm. I, I, yeah. Uh, sugar is the protective thing. And when your sugar is low, uh, your free fatty acids go up and poison all of your tissues. Wow. Not, not just the liver, but your, your brain. Everything is uh, exposed to, to stress when the sugar is low. Uh, and... Uh, uh, those people w- with that uh, slight shift in the balance of porphyrin metabolism, uh, estrogen uh, causes a drop in blood sugar and a, a surge of porphyrin. And hmm. just just having consistent sugar intake, keeping your thyroid steady so that your blood sugar doesn't drop easily, and having a free, a frequent uh, orange juice, for example, as a source of sugar is uh, it's a good one. Usually, all it takes to prevent the attacks. Mm-hmm. And fruit, of course, and I guess anything that's going to turn to sugar, right? The potatoes or orange yeah, juice, yeah, or, yeah, yeah just yeah. anything. Honey, maple syrup, that kind of sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Boy, like honey, man. There's a, we just got an email, a fellow just wanted to thank you for your um, your idea. He says when he does a couple teaspoons of honey when he wakes up in the middle of the night, it goes right back to bed. I think you mentioned that on past Sherry. I just wanted to thank you for that. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, people have told me that uh, uh, they, they have taken uh, honey secretly to the hospital where someone <laughs> was in serious condition, gave them a, a couple of tablespoons, person got up and left the hospital. Yeah, well, it's pretty magical, some of it. Dr. Pete stated that the omega-3s is less stable. What that really means is that it is more sacrificial. It oxidizes, it oxidizes instead of your tissue being oxi- instead of your tissue being oxidized. Um, Do you know I, what he's saying here? I'm sorry. I didn't get yeah, that's the, been the basis for a lot of the claims. Uh, one thing it does is lower your prostaglandin production. It competes with arachidonic acid for making the pro-inflammatory uh, prostaglandins. Uh, and so it can uh, reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. And But when it's taken into the bloodstream, by the time it gets to the bloodstream, it's uh, oxidizing. Uh, a large percent of is oxidized before it gets into the tissue. Some of it does reach the brain, but much of it circulates as breakdown products, and these poison the immune system uh, interfere with white blood cells and that can uh, powerfully stop an inflammatory process but if it continues for for more than a few days uh, that suppresses your resistance to bacterial or fungal infections too so uh, after a period of about six months you start seeing serious damage to the immune system when people are eating too much fish. 
Oh, uh-huh. uh, oh, this fellow actually is a doc, um, and he says, I know of a Dr. Trempe, T-R-E-M-P-E. He had benefits of seeing cause effect in the eyes, and there's no doubt that omega-3 is protective to the retina. And he sends a link here. Hmm. Oh, I wrote a, a newsletter about that, and uh, uh, there is a lot of literature showing that uh, babies in particular, uh, it's the uh, omega-3 uh, fatty acids that uh, are damaged by blue light or ultraviolet light, but bright light in general uh, causes retinal damage, uh, specifically by uh, the changes in these uh, highly unsaturated fats. Uh, so so uh, there's a lot of literature uh, showing that they are damaging to the retina. The threes are. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, a couple more, then we'll let you go to work. Could breathing hydrogen gas help regulate the thyroid? Probably, but I haven't seen any research on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting stuff, but I don't don't know exactly what it would be doing to the thyroid. Gotcha. I understand. An American Indian friend keeps bear fat in his fridge for internal and external use. Is this a good fat to have and if you can catch a bear? <laughs> a bear fat. Let's get some bear fat. I think it would depend a lot on what the bear was eating. Yeah. Some some bears eat lots of berries, lots of fruit, yeah. <laughs> and uh, others uh, load up on, on salmon when yeah. the salmon yeah. Are, yeah. are running. Uh, so if they were eating berries, I think it would be pretty much like beef fat. Yeah. Dr. Pete, have you ever heard of a fellow by the name, I think it's Morris Croc? Croc? No. No. He wrote a lot of books about just eating fruit and you read these things and it's like you know if you just eat fruit it, the whole world is going to open up and you're going to be in heaven and so have you ever experienced anybody that's really done the whole just a lot of fruit a lot of fruit do you see uh, possible advantages uh, I feel so good when I just eat a lot of fruit I don't know um, is, is, talk a little bit about that with what you know about diet a part of it is that lots of fruits stimulate the intestine and accelerate the movement through the intestine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so they can keep... Uh, happy. The, the bacteria, yeah, mm-hmm. keep the bacteria happy and harmless. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the problems uh, with a pure fruit diet uh, over the long run is that most fruits are very low in iron. Ah. And uh, uh, there was a study in California of migrant uh, fruit picker families uh, the kids were uh, they found that their average hemoglobin was at 10 way down in the mm-hmm. anemic range because they were eating lots of oranges <laughs> but but they were mm. extremely free of disease and infection mm. healthier healthier than their well-fed neighbors mm. Mm. Uh, so I, I think uh, you can tolerate a uh, a fairly low iron intake if everything else is good. And uh, there isn't enough uh, availability of a variety of fruits, I think, for uh, people in the United States to... Uh, you, you might end up eating a lot of, of bananas and uh, dates and uh, easy-to-store-and-ship yeah, fruits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those those happen to be high in serotonin and 
can create problems of inflammation. Oh. Why are they hiring serotonin? Just because they, they've hybridized them and stuff like that to make them ripe and at a certain time and all that? I, I suspect that that is a, a part of it, mm-hmm. because when you stress a plant, it produces defensive, ah, irritating chemicals yeah, yeah. I- intended to uh, kill insects or, or predators. Oh. And I think the way bananas are, are grown is uh, uh, very strange. stressful to the plant. <laughs> if you're going to do a lot of fruit, how would you get more, more iron in there to help balance that out? People that love fruit, where would you get that from? I, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, mm-hmm. In some of the studies of of the uh, Pacific Islanders who yeah. live on a potato diet, <laughs> once a year they have pork feasts. One one week a year, and that's enough iron apparently. My goodness, <laughs> isn't that funny? Yeah, one 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 day a year. I mean, whole uh, w- one week a year. One week a year they just eat a lot of pork. Yeah. All, but uh, let's see. Doesn't molasses have a lot of iron? Blackstrap. Uh, uh, yeah, but it also uh, has uh, some irritants that I don't think it's a, a safe, regular source of iron. Yes. Uh, better than an iron deficiency, but uh, not not a, a, a. I think eggs or or uh, oysters or something would be mm-hmm. a, a much safer way to do it. You know, when you're in the business like this, that you know, I talk to all these people, all these different carnivores and paleo and keto and I don't know vegan and vegetarian and do you, do you think these are always going to be with us uh, you know 10 20 30 years from now um, or hmm. I, I think the information is gradually getting organized to the point that that we'll uh, be able to uh, understand uh, which fruits for example mm-hmm. uh, complement each other. Uh, you can get all the protein you need just from fruits. Uh, potatoes are extremely good as a protein source, but uh, with the right choice of fruits, you can get your protein uh, just from fruits. But it involves choosing uh, uh, w- with information about which fruits should balance uh, uh, your your whole nutritional pattern. How would you... Uh, there's places you could actually research and just... Research protein and fruits? Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very scattered and hard to put together, but yeah. uh, it's possible. Kind of fun, though. Fruits mm-hmm. are fun, yeah, and they feel good. Well, Dr. Pete, thanks for being here this morning. What are you going to do today for fun? Anything? I think I'll paint a little. Yeah, well, it sounds like a good day to paint. Yeah. You're up in the northwest, right? You have, what's the weather like? I'm cooling off a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Tell folks now, you they can get your, we have it on our show page, they can get your um, newsletter, and if we click on it, I think it just takes you to, oh, good, it takes you right to the right spot. If you'd like to get Dr. Pete's newsletter, it'll take you right to a Gmail, newsletter at gmail.com. So we have that up there for you. Oh, and, thanks. Yeah, sure. And uh, that one, uh, uh, PayPal just joined it for two years. Is that right? Two years? Uh, yeah, yeah. Two years, and you, and uh, it's not very much. That's cool. And another one, final email, somebody wants to know where they can get your books. It's a good way to... Uh, same place. Same place. Oh, same place. So they just yeah. email you, and they... How many, and you have three books? I think those... Well, there might be um, five available electronically now. Oh, I'm I see. Sure. So people can do it on their little 
yeah. little fire readers and all that stuff. Well, that's cool. All right, sir. Thank you so much. We appreciate your being here, and we'll see you next month. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Dr. Ray Pete. And uh, yeah, click on that. I'm gonna, you know, I've been meaning to join, and I'm going to join right after the show and get his newsletter because, I mean, come on, what's up with that? Yeah, this uh, it'll take you right to a Gmail and just Ray Pete's newsletter.